My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Our Lord told the Apostles, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to dwell with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, whom the Lord, whom the world cannot receive because it either sees him nor knows him, but you shall know him because he will dwell with you and be in you. You will receive the power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses throughout the world. He will dwell with you forever. It's like a continuity, continuation of the promise that Nathan had made to David that his house would last forever, his temple would last forever. It was destroyed by the Babylonians about 500 years later, so it lasted 500 years, not forever. But the line, the Davidic line, came back. Came back through a young maiden 15 years old, when the angel told her, his house will last forever. His house has lasted the whole time because the Holy Spirit has dwelt in it. He said, you will be my witnesses throughout the world. Those are the, the very last world words which Jesus spoke before his ascension into heaven. How the apostles felt upon hearing this, we can only imagine. But we do know that their deep love for Jesus, their trust in his word, prompted them to gather and to wait, not aimlessly, but together united in prayer with the women and Mary in the upper room. They felt something was going to happen. They felt the work of Jesus was somehow going to continue. His death, his brutal death, and now his ascension must not have seemed it on the surface, all that hopeful because he was gone. They just wanted him. But because of his words, because of his actions and his luminosity, they understood that this too was part of a greater providential plan, a wider plan 
And uh, you and I must grasp onto providence really every day. And why, like Macbeth, when he hears the death of his wife, Lady Macbeth dies. He loved her very much. And it's that famous passage when he enters into probably the most pessimistic line ever written in the English literature. All our yesterdays have lighted fools. The way to dusty death, out, out brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. With that famous line, he says, it's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. You can't get more pessimistic than that. <laughs> and a tale told by an idiot full of full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Just like, it's just, doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. And maybe there was a temptation to that. But that, didn't tempta- that temptation didn't come to fruition, didn't kick in, because they were with Mary and the other women. And they were together. And they encouraged each other. And it's as though their being together provoked, almost as though as they came together, they were praying together. They say, it's going to be okay. He's gone now. We're going to have to deal with the high priests and the Pharisees. We're going to have to do something here. We've been given a mission. But the whole place trembled. And then came the Holy Spirit with flames of fire over each one of their heads. It was like each one of them had a unique responsibility, a unique part to play in this endeavor. It wasn't one big flame. It was like tiny little wisps over the heads of each one. And they are completely transformed, as we know, and, and they undertake that mission. The Holy Spirit, our Father called him the great unknown. Unknown because his task is not always easy to comprehend, just like God's providence is not always easy to comprehend. It can, it can sometimes seem like a tale told by an idiot, signifying nothing. But he who is unknown will help us see that it does signify something, and a lot. C.S. Lewis explained how we, we think always of the Son, so to speak, streaming forth from the Father, like light from a lamp, or heat from a fire, or thoughts from a mind, He is the self-expression of the Father, what the Father has to say, or maybe, I guess, what the Father has to think. 
He says, uh, think of the variety of images found in scripture referring to the spirit. Wind, fire, breath, indicating our struggle to articulate an understanding of him. Yet we do know that it is the Holy Spirit who, though silent and unseen, gives direction and definition to our witness to Jesus. And so, though silent and unseen, he gives direction and definition to my life, to my vocation, to my witness to Jesus, to our Lord. When we give a talk, when we give a circle, when we give a meditation, when we invoke we invoke the Holy Spirit to guide us, to guide those speaking, not just us, so that we're brilliant and we give a great TED talk, or I don't know, but, but we, that those who are speaking, that, that rather that are, that are listening, also be guided by the Holy Spirit. He's giving us direction. When we mentor somebody, when we talk to somebody, He's driving us, the Holy Spirit. Even when we keep silent, Sometimes it's better just to shut up. It's not just a question of our brain power, our energy. He helps us to see the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we turn to Our Lady, we turn to Our Lord, and we can turn literally physically to the tabernacle. But now we say, Holy Spirit, and we look up. You know, we don't know where He is. And where, where is He exactly? You know, <laughs> you know. And it's always odd to see a dove and invoke the dove. Okay, yeah. But he helps us to see the most important thing to know is that he is a relation of love. As I look to the tabernacle, as I look to our Lord, as I look to the crucifix, he is a relation of love. The father delights in his son. The son looks up to his father. And there's a relation there that takes place. It's so real, so emphatic. That's where you say God is love. There has to be that relation for there to be love. It's the most overused expression, God is love, God is love. Yeah, but the, the, he can't be a single drone right, flying above us. He is a relation for him to be love. A relation between God the Father and God the Son. Perhaps that's why he's a little bit shadowy, vaguer, not clear, unknown. And I would say it's, it's the Holy Spirit who, who is in some way, since he is God, he is in some way responsible for the, the passage of history, divine providence in our life, in what we say, in what we do, in the events. He's kind of in charge of that. I suppose it could be God the Father, but, but it's, it's the providential action in, in our life happened out of love. We're not usually, as C.S. Lewis says, you're not usually looking at the Holy Spirit. He is always acting through you. If we think of the Father as something, quote, out there in front of you, and the Son as someone standing at your side, helping you to pray, trying to turn you into another Son, then you have to think of the third person as somebody or something inside you or behind you. Come Holy Spirit, you are acting through me and I don't see it. 
My words are your words. My gestures, your gestures. When we can come close to him, like standing close to a fire, we feel his warmth. But we also feel our responsibility. He's the one who allows us and permits us or provokes us to feel the weight of souls. Do you feel the weight of souls? To be truly interested in others, fascinated by what they have to say, what they're all about. We're not just play acting. We're not just courteous. We're not just polite. He is the one who does this in us. Maybe he'll give us ideas and imagery to explain something to someone in the high school activities when we give a talk or, you know, to the one-up guys. Or Who knows? Who knows what a good example might be to somebody if we were to invite someone to go to confession, invite somebody to read the gospel, give somebody a good book. Who knows what impact that could have. Remember how that, that story of, of uh, Dom Chotard when he was on the university campus and he saw that priest praying the breviary. And he began to ask himself, maybe I should pray like that priest is praying. As he saw just this priest, completely oblivious to the example that he was provoking as he was praying his breviary, And that student saw him at a distance and said, maybe I should pray like that priest is praying. He started to go to some Catholic club on campus, was founded for middle-class youth. It was founded by this guy, L'Abbé L'Allemand. And he eventually entered the monastery, became a well-known writer, Abbé Chotard, l'âme de toute l'apostolat. Wasn't that the hidden Holy Spirit? He's hidden, but we must kind of feel him act, not so much as charismatics, but he's always there in every conversation, every spiritual direction, every confession, every decision. He's there. There's no moment in which he's not there. Every time we click on something on the computer, he's there in some way. Let's not be afraid to invoke him, to call, call him out. At the very moment in which you're engaged in talking, at the very moment in which you're giving a, a, a talk, or, or maybe just like as you're about to begin, so that your intention is upright, at the very moment that you're writing, at the very moment you're making a decision, at the very moment in which you're thinking of what a person might need, or when you're thinking about a fraternal correction, you see something that strikes you that was an odd thing that this guy said or did, or, uh, okay, Holy Spirit, was that just my, my problem? Or, we pray to the Holy Spirit, we remind us one fundamental thing. 
a phrase we've heard often. When we pray to the Holy Spirit, it reminds us that the work is in our hands. Yes, it's in our hands. In the sense that we have to be responsible, that we have to learn, that we have to have initiative. But fundamentally, it's in God's hands. It's, right? it's in the Holy Spirit's hands, in particular. It's something Don Javier said. I think it was Don Javier. I don't remember now, but maybe it was the father. But we, this is a phrase we've heard often, the work is in our hands. Sense of responsibility. But really, we can't overburden ourselves with the thing, you know, it all depends on me and, and get into activism and we have to do all this. No, it's, in the end, it's the Holy Spirit who's, who's acting. Without confidence in the Holy Spirit, we can really feel fragile, we feel uh, kind of uh, concerned uh, or lacking confidence. It's, it's all about my abilities, uh, what I can do and say. But it's true, it really is true. He can inspire us to speak. He can help us to listen more attentively to a brother of ours or to somebody and understand. We can, he can understand. Squint your eyes. Pay attention. What did he just say? Why would he say that? How do I give him something that can help? Come Holy Spirit. Help me to commiserate with him. To feel his pain. Society today is, is being fragmented by a way of thinking that is inherently short-sighted because it disregards the full horizon of truth. The truth about God, about us, about the church. It just completely disregards that horizon. And the, Holy, the, the history of the church includes many examples of attempts to bypass or override human weakness or failures in order to create a, a kind of perfect unity, a spiritual utopia. But really, it is not our church. It is the Spirit who guides us, guides the church. It's wonderful to think that he can make our decisions wiser, more more paused as we come out of this retreat will be, I, I hope we'll be a bit wiser because we will have prayed, because we will have invoked him often. We'll be a little bit more paused, if that's a word, pausado, you know, clear. Not so inspired by human prudence or, or human, well, let's say, let's call it that, human respect. We'll be a little bit more supernatural, a greater sense of responsibility, a greater sense of maturity, equilibrium, a certain abandonment in front of pain and or, or setbacks, develop the spirit of acceptance. Let us think that even after all these years, the, whole, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, the Holy Spirit, as he acts inside us, he's actually forging something in us. Well, our character is our character, our personality is our personality. What are we going to do? We're not, but, but he can mature us. If you look at, you take a picture of yourself now and 10 years ago, 
Was there a growth of maturity? I mean, obviously we all grew in age, but uh, was there a growth, for example, in sporting spirit? It's, it's not always easy to find a good definition of maturity, just as it is somewhat difficult to find a description of the Holy Spirit, because maturity is a process that continues our whole life. It doesn't have to do with so much with age. Well, somehow it does, I suppose, but it, it has to do with our ongoing receptivity of the action of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's what maturity is, I would say. Some people, because some people do get older, but they never really mature in Christ. They're just these, they're just still immature. They think about silly things, even though they're getting older. The mature person is the one who, even if he were a young, a relatively young age, he's, he's capable of making a coherent response to the questions that life presents to him. Or to face the challenges of, of the apostolate, or to face the challenges without that pessimism that we saw in Macbeth. Life has no meaning. Oh, this didn't go my way. It's all meaningless. No. The mature person sees a challenge and embraces it. He's focused on those challenges. He's not focused on himself. That's what we can ask the Holy Spirit right now. Help me to to dishevel away the excessive focus on myself. Take away those layers. That's why you could say both the definition of maturity and the action of the Holy Spirit are almost, it's not that they're synonymous, but that they bring about the same thing. So examples of maturity would be <coughs> equilibrium, stability. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. <coughs> Control over our state of mind. Dominion of reason. You know, okay, wait, like, let's think this through. Whoa. I'm very upset here. This happened. I, wait a minute. Let's think this through. And there the Holy Spirit comes to our aid. Not letting oneself be overly guided by feelings. I feel like having, I feel like watching another movie. I feel like watching another episode of, I feel like watching this football game. I, I, feel, I feel like, I feel like, I don't feel like wearing the solace. Forget it. I'm not going to do it. And the Holy Spirit would say, no, no, no. I know you don't feel like doing this, but do it anyway. So we don't let ourselves be guided by feelings. That's a sign of maturity. Confidence. Confidence in one's own abilities. Confidence in one's formation. Which is not making oneself the center, but confidence, yeah, good confidence. Responsibility and acceptance of the risk of failure. Some people... It's funny how some people, you know, they, they just, like, they can't grasp or, or can't imagine the possibility of failure. Failure has to be avoided at all costs, and it hampers them. Again, the Holy Spirit will help us 
to be mature, and, and the result of that will be that we will become more aware that we are not alone in the world. And so we avoid slander, defamation, jealousy, envy. We accept the others for what they are. We go beyond our own concerns, our own interests. We can have hobbies, obviously, but here's what our father said. Either we second the impetus of the Holy Spirit, which will lead us to serve the Lord with joy, or we will be dragged along by our own spirit, our pride. And then we will easily end up at the mercy of the devil. Meditate on the importance of entering by ways of true prayer. That's how we will go along the pathways of real docility. Maybe that's why our father often used that expression, possumus, or, or let's say he was captivated by that passage of the gospel. I don't know anybody else who, who would quote from the we can, the possumus of James and John. I don't know anybody else. Maybe there's other fathers of the church, who knows. But, but our father reading that saw possumus, yeah, possumus, but it can be interpreted to mean, oh, these guys are super self-confident. Yeah, we can do this. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Right? Because we don't say, I can. We say, because on the one hand, in this case, they were brothers, so they say, but also we can say, because we are brothers. We are part of a family. But even if we were all alone, living in Kazakhstan, all alone, we'd say the plural. We'd say posthumus because it's about you and I and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit acts. So we can always say posthumus. We don't have to say posum in the singular. Posthumus is meant to, to be an expression of daring, not of pride. It's not a sort of saying, I know how to do this. I've got the formation. I can do it. Get out of my way. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Nothing. We have a project in life. And one of the result, results, as Don Javier or Don Alvaro would say, is, is great optimism. We're beginning now this new year facing COVID. We have to face it. The challenge of 2021 with optimism, really with optimism. Like that story I often told of this lady who was driving home and she was going through in the car through the neighborhood and she saw as she's driving uh, a, a park where the little kids were playing and they were playing softball. And she loves to watch little kids. They were little, little you know, elementary school kids. And... Uh, she stops to watch them play and she finally finds a seat and all these parents there and they're all watching and little kids there playing softball and she sits down next to the third baseman and uh, the third baseman is, is completely enthusiastic. He says, come on, man. You know, 
and uh, she she asks him, "Hey, what's the score?" And he looks over at her and he says, "Well, we're losing fourteen nothing." And he, but he's enthusiastic, and and she goes, "Well, uh, you know, you don't look too discouraged, do you?" And he says to her, "Discouraged? Discouraged? Why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gone up the plate yet." We haven't even gone up the bat. We still have lots to do. Why should I be discouraged? We still have to, we have to knock it out of the park. We have to still make a home run of vocations, of young professions, of getting to know our brothers, of having them all persevere. We have the challenge of COVID. We still indeed need to step up to the plate in that. Not dire lamentations, and we just got to accept the changes. We got to accept the foggy glasses with the masks. It's okay. We'll do it. He's prodding us to deeper confidence in God's providence, who's watching over the house of David, which will indeed last forever. Let us ask the maiden of Nazareth to give us that optimism. Because 2021, we still have to we still have to step up to the plate, and with God's help, with the Holy Spirit, with her intercession, with Saint Joseph, with our Father, we'll indeed provide a home run of vocations, and, and we'll see them running around the plate over and over, getting more points, and it'll be a very very good year. It's hard to be worse than 2020, so. But uh, it'll be a very good year for vocations and many other reasons. Our Blessed Mother will intercede for us and drive home our optimism with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.